Hi there and welcome to episode 89 of the Ski Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, today we're going to be chatting about the ski areas of Cromontana and Gestatt in uh, Switzerland. We've got news of a new event closer to home in Glencoe, Scotland. And we're going to be finding out more about Dewarstone, the uh, climate neutral UK clothing brand. Firstly though, I'd like to start by thanking Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. Now, a little bit later on, I'm going to be talking in detail about Switzerland in the Cromontana section. But the fact is, I've just been on holiday there with my family. It wasn't a press trip. It's something I chose to book. It was our first family holiday for two years, and it was an amazing week. I'm looking forward to chatting a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, the travel rules are easing the whole time. And we'll talk more about that shortly in the Battleface travel update. But I would like to thank Switzerland, uh, the whole country, for being the only destination who let our single vaccinated kids in without making them take loads of tests to allow them to go skiing. And, and it remains the simplest country to travel to. We'll go into those details with Katie shortly. But let me start with some introductions. My name's Ian Martin. I'm joined by four guests uh, live on the pod today. Firstly, I'd like to welcome freelance journalist Katie Dartford. Hi, Katie. Hi there. Hi. Nice to have you back on the show. We had you on before when you just visited Coron Montana, and today yeah. you're going to be telling us about another resort in Switzerland. We're also joined by Dewarstone founder Rory Atten. Hi, Rory. Welcome to your first appearance on the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, and I can think I can hear the wind in the background there. We're all uh, in windy parts of the UK, but you're down in the southwest somewhere. Are you in Dartmoor? Is that right? Yeah, I'm in the middle of Dartmoor in Princetown. So, yeah, we probably get the weather as, as good as it gets here. <laughs> also down in the southwest, I think, uh, regular contributor Katie Crow from Battleface Travel Insurance. How are you, Katie? Morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Nice to have you live back on the show. We've had to record a couple of them recently. Always good to see your face. And uh, also, finally, our equipment expert, Al Morgan from SkiKitInfo.com. Hi, Al. How are you going? Morning, Ian. Windy as well, like all the others. But yeah, doing well. Windy as well. I like your T-shirt. You've got a special uh, SkiKitInfo branded T-shirt on you today. Are they available to buy on the website? No, this is actually my uniform. Excellent. Okay, well, let's start off by asking my guess when they skied or snowboarded last. I happen to know that Al and Katie haven't been out on the slopes. So, uh, Rory, when, when were you last out on the uh, on the snow? When did that happen? I mean, honestly, I can't remember. It was at least two <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Oh, um, gosh. Okay. I know. For someone that spent all their life skiing, it feels like it's been a long, long break for me. But i um, excited to get back. I thought it was going to be this season, but, you know, maybe it'll be next season. Okay. And uh, Katie Dartford, uh, you're going to be telling us about Gestat. Have you been skiing since then at all? Yes, I have. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I was in Chamonix. You were in Chamonix. And when was that? Uh, two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, about then. Two yeah. And how ago. was it when you were there? Uh, uh, yeah, it really needs new snow. I mean, I was up on the Valley Blanche and the, you could, the, gla- uh, the crevasses were really open and okay. had to stop a lot earlier than usual to walk out. Right. I think that may have been uh, resolved since you went two weeks ago because actually oh, yeah. I was looking at a, uh, um, some photos and some video by Gavin Foster from Ski Weekend. I don't know if you know him and <laughs> conditions look pretty good. That was last Yeah, year. yeah, I have heard. <laughs> Typically, I haven't been able to go since yeah. then. But... We're going to be uh, having a few snow reports and checking the latest situation shortly but first let's turn to the uh, Battleface travel update with Katie Crow uh, from Battleface. Life is getting easier in terms of uh, travel it's been you know we've had some podcasts where we've been editing and changing at the last minute because they keep pulling the rug from underneath our feet 
But at the moment, you know, if there's any news, it, it all seems to be going in the right direction. Do you want to bring us up to date with the latest situation, Katie? That's right, Ian. As you say, after a very tricky start to the season, restrictions have, have, have eased and British skiers are now able to make it out here to the Alps and to all the ski resorts and enjoy the slopes. And bookings are looking really good for the rest of the season um, as, as skiers are taking advantage of this easing of restrictions. Um, EasyJet have put on an extra 50,000 additional seats on flights departing to ski destinations. Cool. And, you know, one of the, um, the drivers, I know lots of people, it probably perhaps came too late for people who are looking to go out at half term. But coming back into the UK, one of the key things there is now easy, uh, easier in terms of the fact there's no day two test if you're, if you're vaccinated. That's right. Yeah, it's much easier to travel back into the UK. There's no day two tests for vaccinated now since the 11th of February. So that's been 10 days so far. So that's really great news in terms of bringing the cost down of travel. And you mentioned that, you know, people had great uh, half term holidays in France. I mean, I said I didn't go to France. And one of the reasons was the testing side of things. But actually for the for teenagers, for, you know, 12 to 15 year olds, that's also become simpler since we last spoke. Yes, it has. Yep. It's much easier for kids to prove their status because the NHS COVID pass is now available for 12 to 15 year olds, which is fantastic news. And in terms of getting into uh, France as well, it's also a bit easier as well, I believe. That's right. Yeah. France have dropped their requirement for a negative COVID test for vaccinated travellers, which came as really welcome news. And also there's no test or form for Switzerland, um, which is really good news as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the form filling, you know, isn't particularly uh, onerous. We still had to do it going into Switzerland and coming back into the UK. But while we were out in Switzerland, the rules about masks changed. So when we arrived, you had to wear masks going into shops and this and that. And uh, you were meant to have your COVID passes checked going into restaurants. But to be honest with you, I don't know, maybe it's a bit like in the UK. That wasn't rigorously uh, applied. And during the course of the week, those rules were uh, dropped. So you do have to wear masks still on uh, public transport and in enclosed ski lifts. But that's it in, in Switzerland now. And as you say, no more tests. That's right. Yeah, those those rules regarding mask wearing were, were dropped on the 17th of February, so just last week. And you mentioned France and there's no requirement for a negative test for vaccinated travellers. That definition of vaccinated travellers does require a bit of attention, doesn't it, in relation to boosters? Yes, that's right. Um, 18 plus need boosters within four months of a second COVID jab, which is down from seven, um, in order to use lifts and restaurants. So that's definitely a change in requirements. So we'd urge everybody to check their COVID vaccination date. Yeah, so definitely get a booster to ensure that you are definitely um uh, fully vaccinated and that there's a similar situation in austria i can't remember what the deadline is uh there yeah that's right um it requires boosters after 180 days but the rules seem to be easing the whole time um as we just said switzerland no masks in most places in italy no masks outside so as we go through the season the rules and restrictions are definitely lifting and hopefully yeah. that's going to continue yeah, I mean, I'm very much hoping. I've certainly uh, read that there's an intention within France to be able to draw back on the uh, past vaccinal and the past sanitaire 
and you know our next family trip in uh, in April you know my kids will be double vaccinated by then so it shouldn't be uh, an issue but it'd be nice if we didn't have to muck around showing yeah, QR codes and all that kind of uh, uh, stuff. I'm in a similar situation. We're off to Chamonix um, at the end of um, March. So hoping that things have, have continued to ease um, and my children as well are going to get their second vaccination between now and then. So hopefully that will, will mean for easy skiing. Cool. Well, and I know for you, I think that trip has been deferred two years, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Really looking yeah. forward to coming out. <laughs> so, you know, so that will be really good. So just as a reminder then, uh, you know, the reason we have you on the show, Battleface, it, it does offer travel insurance and it offers uh, ski insurance. Do you want to just uh, clarify uh, what um, is on offer there? Yeah, absolutely. Battleface offers um, travel insurance and we have a winter sports add-on. So please do visit battleface.com to check out um, the, the quote for your, for your upcoming trip. And you can also check any requirements, entry re restrictions on the Sherpa add-on, which we have as our travel hub on the, on the website. Yeah, that's really good. I've used that as well. It's always up to, date, uh, up to date. You can have a look on that and see what's required. As it is, it's getting simpler. I'll tell you, Katie, that last night we went round to see some friends or yesterday afternoon, I was saying to them, they need to get travel insurance for their daughter who's uh, going to join us on that trip to Ladies Out. And I said to them, oh, you know, try battleface.com. And they said, that sounds a bit hardcore. And I went through that whole of that story about how Battleface was uh, formed and regular listeners will remember that I interviewed uh, Sasha the founder of Battleface about that whole history of uh, originally you know the company was offering uh, insurance to people to NGOs and people traveling to different destinations uh, difficult destinations and uh, then you started uh, you know being able to insure people when the uh, FCO weren't uh, were advising against travel you could still get yeah, insurance that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So our sort of raison d'etre is ensuring journalists traveling out to difficult situations and environments. Um, we've actually just relaunched our partnership with the International Federation of Journalists, the IFJ, and Reporters Sans Frontières as well, RSF. So, you know, we are um, constantly helping journalists be able to travel and get out there and report from, from the front line, as well as from the Winter Olympics, from all sorts of uh, destinations worldwide. I also think it should be worth noting here, never underestimate the cost of um, being airlifted from a, from, a, from a mountain. You know, we did, the, we did some research um, a few, few months ago, and we found that people think that it, the cost of airlifting from the slopes is, is about £3,000, but it's actually close to 10000 But, you know, really, really important to take your travel insurance out, especially when you're looking at precarious conditions like snow. For sure. Well, I mean, you know, not getting travel insurance would be bad as far as I'm concerned. So there you go, uh, listener. If you if you are going out on a trip, make sure you're uh, covered and uh, have a look at battleface.com uh, for more information. So that's brilliant, Katie. Thanks very much. Now, lots of people have been lucky enough to spend the last week in a ski resort. What is the snow like right now? We've got a couple of snow reports that have been sent in to listen to. But let's start off by looking at Cromontana, where I've uh, uh, just been. Uh, you know, it was my second trip to Grand Montana. Uh, it was very different from my first one. My first one was in December 2020, just before everything closed down. I was just going ski touring and I was on my own. I'll put a link to uh, that report in the show notes. This time it was a family holiday. And the, the reason we chose Switzerland was principally because of uh, the access for my single vaccinated uh, children. And I was looking around for availability and there wasn't much. Initially, I was thinking about Sierra where I stayed uh, in the summer when I was doing some trail running. And then, you know, we looked at uh, Cron Montana 
that's where we ended up uh, uh, booking. I booked a, a property, a hotel through the Cromontana uh, website, just like a three-star family room. Uh, we booked flights from Southampton. Very expensive to fly at half term, but I worked out that if you're prepared to leave late uh, from the UK and leave really early at 6 a.m. from Geneva, that was like a 4.30 start coming back. It can be affordable. Uh, to fly we we hired a car uh, via holiday autos and that ended up being delivered via um sixth uh, the rental company we got really nice mercedes which uh, surprised me and so we managed to get five and a half days skiing out of that and so my thoughts are cromontana you know there's 140 kilometers of skiing there it's half term there were no queues at all it was really bizarre i was really surprised um you know to to see the the lack of queues i think on the final day which was a friday there must have been people who'd come for the weekend or something. It was a bit busier. But in the week, we basically just went straight onto, uh, onto lifts. And, you know, for half-term week, I wasn't expecting that at all. And, you know, good for a family. They've got like a proper, proper pike, an Olympic-sized half-pipe uh, there, of which I believe there's only five around. You know, I, we all skied in that half-pipe. Oh, my God, it makes you realize how those uh, Olympic athletes, how talented and how brave those Olympic athletes are. Just going halfway up the wall of the half pipe was terrifying enough to turn around. It was it was brilliant fun. The kids really enjoyed that. And they got like a mini pipe as well and a mini park. You know, there's some massive uh, kickers down there. And then there's some really lovely uh, runs down through the trees to Aminona where you can catch a bus back into the uh, into the ski system. So most of it, you know, was reds and, and Fairly easy blacks, uh, I would say. It's not a ski in, ski out type of place uh, compared to some of the French resorts. You've got three access points, really. But they have these navettes that run through the town. And as you expect in Switzerland, they're ultra reliable. You know, they would arrive within, if I look at my watch, you know, 10 to 20 seconds of when they were meant to arrive, they'd come in. So you always knew exactly how long, once we worked out how long it took to walk from the hotel to the, uh, to the lift stop, uh, to the bus stop perfect and then you could link into the uh, system uh, the other thing i really liked about crom for us was they have something called the hotel pass so rather than buying a six-day lift pass this is much cheaper and more flexible you just buy your lift pass by the day and bizarrely it turns out to be less expensive than if you bought a six-day pass in a row and if it's a bad weather day which it was at one point i went out <laughs> i went ski touring that day but the kids um you know and, and my wife just decided to take it an easy day and we didn't buy a ticket that day and you know it saves you money and we ended up spending you know money in town elsewhere went down to the brilliant alaya chalet that katie has uh, tried uh, before my kids are on those uh, trampolines uh, that uh, you were on i mean that that as an option for uh, a non-ski day it's pretty cool down there isn't it oh i thought it was great so much you can do you really was it was it busy when you went um no not really it was it was early evening yeah well it was a bit busier when we went along I think probably perhaps because it was a bad weather day but my kids uh loved it so on the trampolines you know throwing themselves into the foam pits and things like that but also they uh got some scooters and went into the kind of skate park and went over the jumps did you try that at all no I would have liked to (laughs) I always end up hurting myself somehow on those things (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, it was pretty terrifying watching them go over these jumps. But again, you just land into the foam pit and they, mm-hmm. they had a brilliant time. And so that was a great uh, bad weather uh, option there. And, you know, cost, you know, Switzerland has a, a reputation as being very expensive. You know, I don't normally go or we don't normally go at half term because it costs 
a lot more than skiing at any other part of uh, time of the year. We went to the Pyrenees in 2020, and that was really just to write an article to prove that it, it doesn't have to cost a huge amount of money. But this one, we hadn't had a holiday for a couple of years. I decided to bite the bullet. And when we got there, a little tribute to a Jim who uh, used to present the show with me. He always used to refer to Swiss Franks as chuffs. You know, they're CHF. I think if you think of Swiss Francs in terms of chuffs, instead of like being real money, it makes it a lot easier to kind of deal with it. Just don't convert it back and uh, just get on with it. And and to be honest with you, you know, it wasn't so bad. You know, we had a bit of bonus at breakfast. We were one of those families who sneakily made up some sandwiches and stuck them in our bag to take with us. And then we, you know, we bought like a kind of uh, chips and soup and things at lunchtime. Uh, and, you know, in the evenings, it wasn't so bad. So, you know, I don't think I think the cost was entirely comparable with skiing in France. I didn't think it was uh, it was more expensive at all. So that's my review of Cromontana. You know, really enjoyed that uh, trip. And uh, let's have a listen to a couple of snow reports from other people who've uh, who've just been out in the Alps. Hi, Ian. It's Babsy. We uh, just came back from the South Tyrol. Um, we went to Dreisinnen in the Dolomites. So uh, the um, Dolomiti Super Ski. Uh, we got there Saturday before last. Uh, lovely blue skies. Very, very cold. Minus 13, minus 14 when we went out there. The, um, the, the, the snow conditions were okay. A little bit icy, a little bit scraped. So they needed fresh snow. But um, on the Tuesday, they predicted 20%. We had 30 so they've got a really good base. Um, amazing, really amazing now. They were back to sunshine on the Wednesday for the rest of the week. And they are having more fresh snow predicted this week. So amazing. OK, all the best, Ian. Bye. Hi, Ian. Alex from 150 Days of Winter with a snow report from Korshvan and the Three Valleys. Before I start, I must first congratulate Chloe Trespouche from Valteron for her Winter Olympic silver medal in the women's border cross event. A great achievement in a challenging sport. But back to the snow report. After January that felt more like March, the weather has started to turn with regular snow falling in February. As I record this, I'm looking out at a blizzard that is dumping 40 centimetres of fresh snow outside. The peace conditions have been good but hard, resulting in many accidents of out-of-control holidaymakers who underestimate their stopping distances, resulting in not only injuries to them, but to innocent bystanders. The tourist office have asked people, among many things, to check their speed while they're skiing. Due to hard snow conditions, the affluent Korshval visitors have been sacrificing their peace time for terrace time with Mr. Gin and Mr. Tonic at their hotels, or long boozy lunches at pretentious mountain restaurants. How very Korshval. And on that, I wish you a safe half-term skiing, and I will no doubt talk to you again in March. This is Stephen Spears with a quick snow update for Glencoe Mountain Resort in Scotland for Saturday 19th of February 2022. Finally, thanks to Storm Eunice, the season kicked into high gear. Wind-packed powder arriving to fill in the top runs in particular, which uh, with deep gullies do require quite a bit more snow to be suitable for skiing. All the runs were open yesterday, uh, except for the very steep 40 degree or so flypaper run 
uh, a black run which was closed due to the avalanche risk. For those that don't know, Glencoe, it really is a mini freeride resort with plenty of opportunity for safer off-piste. Saturday was really no exception to that with uh, Ski Anywhere, very much what people were doing uh, with uh, just having to watch out for the occasional kind of rocky outcrop uh, when you were off the main pistes. March is a big month coming up for Glencoe with the new cafe opening, hopefully, and also the new Rannoch chair set to get uh, Department of Transport approval. Finally, some more snow is forecast for the coming week, quite a bit actually by the looks of it. So we're really hopeful uh, up in Scotland to see if this season can last until late April or early May, which it often does. Thanks then. Bye. Great. So thanks uh, to all our contributors for those snow reports. I didn't mention the snow in Crow Montana. You know, Katie said it was thinning a bit when she was in Chamonix a couple of weeks ago. The snow cover was great. It snowed about 20 centimetres in midweek, but the temperatures are weird. It kind of went from minus five up to plus 10 at one point, and it was getting a bit churny uh, lower down. But bizarrely, I see today it's already back down to minus five again, and they've got a 30 centimetre snowstorm coming in. So it's looking good for the uh, for the Alps there. Now, we had a report just then from Stephen Spears in Glencoe, and while we're in uh, Scotland and Glencoe, let's have a listen to another interview I recently recorded with Neil Dalgleish. Now, I met Neil at the Birmingham Ski Show, and he told me about a new event called the Mighty Co. And I caught up with him to find out a little bit more about it. I'm here today with Neil Dalgleish. Uh, he's from a, an agency called Hillside Outside. But I'm particularly interested. We met at the Birmingham show where you told me that you're going to be putting on a new event in March uh, called the Mighty Co. Uh, and there's a clue in the name. It's going to be at Glencoe Mountain Resort. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about it, Neil. So the Mighty Co is, I think, the UK's first on-snow ski and snowboard festival. It came. The idea kind of came about during um, the, the kind of lockdown wanderings around the hill, uh, around the hills. Um, we couldn't go very far, and this this time last year, I think we were we were knee deep in uh, really good snow. And uh, and weren't allowed to go very far, but anyway, we we were all uh, kind of touring and doing what we could, and gives you time to think, doesn't it? And um, <laughs> so <laughs> sadly, sadly, we all had too much time to think last week. <laughs> yeah. At least, at least those of you who were stuck up in Scotland had the opportunity to get on the snow. Yeah, we were fantastically lucky, and actually had some incredible power days. I mean, I'm, I'm in the Scottish Borders right now, and just outside here, you know, literally. Half a mile from the house, there was knee deep powder. It was it was unbelievable. Our our kind of business is, is outdoor events, and uh, we always we've always been about trying to put on whether it's mostly mountain biking and cycling events or trail running or other outdoor stuff. Uh, things that are good fun to take part in. Uh, sometimes racing, sometimes not. But one of the one of the ones that we do is a, a one of the UK's biggest sort of mountain bike festivals called Tweedlove, based in the Scottish Borders. So what we do is we work with the brands and people can try bikes, etc., and go out and ride on fantastic terrain. And also, importantly, the social side of it, um, meet up with like-minded souls and uh, and have a good time and have a beer and whatnot. And, and it struck me on those wonders that that didn't exist for skiing and snowboarding. And especially last year when... All of us were, you know, taught that, that, that we're into talking about um, so many people were trying to find uh, ski tour and stuff or split boards. You just couldn't get hold of anything. And and people didn't know 
what they should be looking for necessarily. It was quite hard to find out. It's a little bit opaque. Uh, I just thought, why, why don't we try and do something like we do in mountain biking for for skiing and boarding? And I've, you know, I've and and, and another who knows, and another another career choice down the line. I I would have been an instructor and ended mm-hmm. up goodness knows where, but uh, I ended up this way and doing bikes. Um, so it always been it's, it's always been a love and always wanted something I wanted to do. So I spoke to Andy Meldrum at Glencoe Mountain Resort uh, about the idea. And we basically decided to to have a go. So March 26th, 27th will be the first Mighty Co. Excellent. We've had Andy Meldrum on the uh, podcast before because he told us about the uh, summer ski session they do uh, at Glencoe, regardless of the amount of uh, snow that's there. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But so therefore, at the at the Mighty Co, then it's going to be over a couple of days uh, at Glencoe uh, Resort. And there are going to be all sorts of sessions going on. You said, like, for example, people are interested in finding out about ski touring. So there's that. I think maybe avalanche training as well, you know, be able to try kit, things like that. Uh, who's, it, who's it aimed at? It's aimed at, um, I guess, I guess the biggest focus is is uh, people who are interested and curious about backcountry, but actually it's, it's aimed wider than that. It's everybody who just wants to come together and kind of celebrate their love of the snow and of, of sliding. The biggest focus in the brands will probably be on um, kind of touring kit, alpine kit, split boards, snowboards. But, you know, there's a family element to it as well. So there's stuff if you're um, you bring the kids, whatever. The kind of the main uh, partner who's got behind it to to help us off and give us some support to get us started was the North Face, along with a, a, a lot of other brands. Which will, on uh, when we, when we release all the details, all those brands who are bringing kit to demo and expo and whatnot, they'll they'll be revealed. Can't. Can't list them right <laughs> now, I'm afraid. So we've got an exclusive about the event itself, but not about exactly what's going to be there. But it's going to be on slope and off slope, a combination of both things, right? Yeah. So um up on the plateau there'll be an event village with a bar. It's not gonna be not quite the folly deuce, but you know, if we can have a bit of <laughs> uh a bit of kind of fun snow festival vibes, that's certainly the intention. And um so various trade stands, big tents um hopefully a screen um and basically a a little festival village will be up on the hill and from there you'll be able to visit the various um brands who are expoing or have demo kit uh, find out from those experts what's the right stuff for you and for quite a few of the brands you'll be able to actually just go and try it so we'll have a kind of skin track marked out and on some of the brands will be uh having their own dedicated ambassadors leading sort of little backcountry trips there will also be the chance to join organized sort of begin we're going to call it backcountry taster and as as the kind of shorter uh, intro one for people who maybe haven't had that before and we'll have a chance to go with an instructor learn the basics of skinning whether that's on split board or, or skis a little taste of side country or off-piste backcountry and then there will be all day uh, backcountry rider uh, sessions where you, where you get to go and actually sample um, some of the, the the glorious off piece off the back at Glencoe. Cool, it sounds it sounds great. I mean, I've been trying to, I say, trying to do a trip up to Scotland for a couple of years now. Last winter, it just 
didn't work out. I considered going up uh, almost uh, well last month anyway, but the snow conditions weren't quite right. Hopefully, we'll have we'll have good conditions for that. I think the dates are the twenty sixth and twenty seventh of March. Is that correct? Yeah, by a, a very scientific uh, look at the averages that 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 weekend or around about that time of year is probably the most reliable for. We we usually get late season anyway, um, so usually by then. That's, there's a, a, a decent base and some and some good snow conditions, and the weather has usually calmed down by then. So we have we have the most chance of weather and conditions. Cool, excellent. Um, and will it cost to attend? You you buy your lift pass. There'll be a special lift pass um, on the Glencoe Mountain Resort um, site, or you can get it through the Mighty Co site. The plan is it's just going to be just a little bit more expensive than your normal lift pass. I think the, the, it's going to be very, very good value because for, for all the stuff that's going on, you get your lift pass so you can ski for, for the day or the weekend as usual, but you've got all that stuff too. Cool. It sounds it sounds great. Well, for more information then, uh, listener, you can go to themightyco.com. Uh, and uh, Neil, I'm if I can fit it into my schedule, I'll definitely uh, be there uh, as well. I'd love to try it. I'm really keen to go ski touring. Uh, in Scotland and just to go skiing in Scotland so um, that would be amazing cool all right that's brilliant Neil thanks very much okay thank you so I'm not sure I can fit that into our our calendar but Al I think you might be going up to uh, Glencoe for that event yeah absolutely I'm so excited it's great to have an event like that on our doorstep you know in the UK and Scotland's had a tough start but the conditions have really come in in the last week I am so excited about that happening Cool. And there's obviously lots of opportunity to uh, to try kit and you know, to uh, ski touring lessons or introduction to ski yeah, touring, ab- etc. Absolutely. So there's loads of brands going up for people to demo kit, try it out, you know, try before you buy if you want. Uh, just see what's out there on the market for the coming seasons so and for next winter as well. Um, and yeah, they've got hosted uh, guide sessions to go ski touring, go and give it a go. They've got an event on the middle night, on the Saturday night. Yeah, it sounds really, really fun. Cool. Well, hopefully you can tell us about it uh, when you get back from that one, Al. That would be great. Before we go on uh, to talk about Gestat, I'd like to thank everybody who's voted for the Ski Podcast so far in the Sports Podcast Awards. All votes have to be in before the end of the month. And I think this will be our last podcast uh, before then. So if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes to vote for us at sportspodcastawards.com. And I'll put a link into the show notes. Right, let's move on to Gestat. Never been too sure about the pronunciation of that. We did have a feature in the show about it before, but Katie, thanks for joining us again. You've been in Switzerland again this time. It's not a resort I've been to. What were your impressions? Yeah, um, I went at the end of January um, and honestly, it was so quiet. The piece you could like, it's pre-Alp. It's meant to be sort of fairly mellow, the skiing that is. And you could really just let rip. There was nobody, just nobody. And yet the restaurants were quite full. So um, for my first day, I skied around the Egli area where there's a new restaurant. And it, it was exactly, like I said, the pieces were perfect. There hadn't been much fresh snow at that point, but uh, everything was in great conditions. But yeah, I mean, it's quite mellow, I'd say. Lots of nice, nice wide reds, uh, plenty of blues. So you can really kind of just go there and relax and enjoy yourself um and then obviously I, another day I someone challenged me saying well didn't challenge me but I took it as a challenge <laughs> you, know, you you can ski from the uh, Sean Reed all the way around to the other side to Zweisman and not 
take any lift twice so i thought oh, i'm okay. gonna do that so i did the whole circuit like by myself and it was like exactly the same lovely open mellow like, i was all by myself i couldn't believe it <laughs> i was like doing instagram lives like oh, there is no one here and it's just wide open piece i can just let rip cool and how big is the ski area then how many kilometers a piece are we thinking about I'll have to double check that. I think it's about 200. But um, I, w- I wasn't there in January. I was there early January and I'd gone to Glacier 3000. So if you do want something a bit more extreme and more kilometres, you can go down there. It's on the same path. Um, and that is proper hardcore. So you can do whatever you want, really, if you want mellow, if you want extreme. OK. And you said, and 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 you said, uh, you know, about relaxing, yeah, mm-hmm. and that the restaurants were kind of fuller than the piece. Interestingly, in Cromontana, that was the case as well. I said yeah. there weren't any, there weren't any queues on the mountain, but every yeah. evening, if you wanted a restaurant, you had to book it in advance, so you wouldn't be able to get a table. I was like, where are these people in the day? <laughs> Yes, but may- yeah. maybe they're actually just chilling out. Is yeah. uh, Gestat the type of place for that? Definitely, definitely. I mean, the whole thing is like the to go and walk around the town and look at all the, the buildings and the statues by donated by some of the celebrities that have lived there, like Julie Andrews or Liz Taylor, um, Bernie Eccleston's hotel. It's just about looking at that and the galleries and the shops and visiting the spa. And I also did a, a horse and cart ride and I at first of all this is gonna be really cheesy but it was brilliant it was actually on some quite like I was like gripping the side of the cart like it's some of the roads are fairly steep and it was okay icy and I was oh my was god this, was it on uh wheels or was it on a sled, uh, sled? Yeah, no it was on wheels I guess I could yeah, you know, yeah it's uh, <laughs> it's on wheels it's not a slow ride I yeah. can't be imagining it is more of a carriage than a cart perhaps. yes 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 it was <laughs> nice we were right I've seen like in in Zermatt you uh I think the uh the Zermatterhof you know likes to transport people from the station to the hotel in one of those uh, yeah but this is proper we went on our it's like an hour tour around the lake great so it was a proper proper day out yeah and and in terms of the shopping you 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 mentioned uh there's some classy uh, shops there any brands that uh yeah uh, like you've got your pradas and things like gucci's and things like that so okay yeah, spend much it. spend much time there <laughs> <laughs> no i just looked i window shopped yeah, actually, Prada uh, were visible in Cromontana as well, because um, bizarre uh, sort of thing where all the lift pylons have got like a Prada, you know, the yeah, red same. line for Prada. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's the same in Gestat, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. OK. Like it's I get the association. It, it just seems bizarre to have a Prada branded lift pylon. But, yeah, you know. but then I don't know. It's in the same. It's the same in Kumaya. Yeah, they just associate themselves with that brand, and it's glamorous. It's meant to be. They're, they're trying to promote themselves as glamorous. And I mean, it is. It is very business. interesting, and I'm pretty sure Al has just said he wants to say something. I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to say. But go on, chip it, chip in. Al. What's your thoughts on Prada? So, there? bizarrely, Prada make some skiing snowboard clothing for some mainstream, full-on, proper, cool brands, and I think the people that wore those brands. Might be a bit surprised that I'm not allowed to say who the brands are, but yeah, if you're big into snowboarding, then some, yeah, it's it's really surprising who they make clothing for. So, are you saying to me that Prada make them, but they're not branded as Prada? Yeah. They're branded as these other brands. Okay, they've yeah. been right. Okay, what I was going to say, what I thought you were going to say, was this issue at the Olympics where one of the uh, snowboarders had a Prada snowboard, 
And when she displayed it, I, I will put the link to the show into the show notes, but she did qualifying on the Prada board and she had a board, you know, uh, upside down and the logo, you had the red line and the logo was very visible on there as being Prada. And the IOC said, oh, you're not allowed to uh, show brands. Now, her point was, well, this is my snowboard and it's made by Prada. You know, you're not saying that to people who are, you know, using Burton or something like yeah. that. And they made her get a um, a Sharpie in red and color out the white of the Prada. So it ended up just being a red strip until they changed their mind later on. So, you know, evidently Prada are much more um, visible in skiing and snowboarding than we might have anticipated. Cool. Well, OK, that's brilliant, Katie. Thanks for that. Actually, Al, you know, we're going to move on to your area now and um, the equipment side of things. And it's brilliant today to have uh, Rory. Uh, from Dewarstone with us. The the brand uh, came up for me recently because I discovered that um, you've got B Corp accreditation. And we'll, we'll come on to that. But I wondered if you could just tell us to start off with a little bit about the history of the brand and how you got started. Yeah, for sure. So Dewarstone is an outdoor lifestyle brand based down in Dartmoor National Park. We primarily make clothing for people that love the outdoors from t-shirts to hoodies to board shorts and sunglasses. We have a couple of our own retail stores now. So we've got one here in Princetown, we've got one in Totnes, and we have one in Gili Tarangan in Indonesia. Um, you can find <laughs> right. the brand. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> yeah. hold on, hold on. That always yeah, throws how, people. How, how, how does that work? You know, that doesn't seem the obvious next extension. Um, no, I mean, we, we do a fair bit of manufacturing out there. Um, and then I was out there just before they had those big earthquakes in 2018 and I had quite a lot of local friends displaced from that. And, um, I wanted to build an infrastructure out there so that if the worst should happen again, we'd be able to help local people. And then we right. built, built the store, start of the first lockdown, um, thinking it was all going to be over in a month. Um, and the store went on to distribute and build and distribute food parcels to over 10,000 people in the local area during the height of the pandemic. Great. Well, so, that's clearly going to going to fit in with our, our, our later conversation. I am interested in those um, in those earlier years. And, uh, you know, what was your background before you started, before you founded USM? Um So for a long time, I was just chasing snow. So I've done we did back to back winters, South America, North America, New Zealand, Europe. Um, spent a lot of time in, Europe, in um, Utah and Colorado and ticked off some amazing, some amazing skiing. And then eventually I was working for Surefoot, working in London, in Verbier, in Park City and Colorado for them. And then um, left for the sunny climate of Devon and set up Duristone just after that. So that's kind of how it, how it started. Rory, I met you when you were at Surefoot and did some amazing uh, boot liners for me because you did foam injected liners there and then just watch your journey as you went over to Dartmoor and you were printing tees at first if I remember and then you made some wooden frame sunglasses and they were just so cool when you brought them out because they felt really different to the resin glasses that we've seen in other stuff you know and it just felt a lot more natural why did you decide to go down that line because it was a, you know a bit of a sideways step from the t-shirt yeah, I mean, um, I mean, so many brands, you know, start out by printing T-shirts in the garage, and that's because it's it's fairly accessible, and you can do small runs and things like that. But with the sunglasses, um, it's actually in the Gilly Islands, and um, we got lost about three pairs of Oakleys because <laughs> they they sank, and then that's when we got into the wooden sunglasses because they float. 
and whilst that's not necessarily something that we we do a lot of now we still have floating ones in the range that was why i got into it because i was you know i was just losing them over the side of boats and yeah <laughs> making making some sunglasses that floats seemed like a great idea and wood was the the natural choice that seems quite a nice time because you do a lot of stuff with i remember right at the start that we were having conversations around kayaking and things and you do things with like the senders guys how's that married with geostone i mean i think like lots of good link-ups like that it's all based on you know personal relationships so i've known bren who's one of the senders guys for a, quite a long time now and then i was out in uganda for a, a kayaking competition quite early on in the geostone life and just kind of I went out for this competition that we'd sponsored and just spent time with Bren and Dane and Adrian and Caleb on the water. And um, it would always be one of those events where it was like 30 of the world's best kayakers and me on this massive river in Uganda. You know, it just, the whole the whole thing just comes about by just, you know, building that friendship and wanting to get involved at the deep end. And you still, so you do clothing with centers, don't you? So one of the super cool things that Jewstone does and the story that I like around it is the um the shorts that you do life shorts pro it's become they're they're are they one of your climate neutral garments is that is that kind of the flagship product for you is that one of your most proud productions yeah yeah definitely so the the life shorts pro with this you know we always talk about this short that we always wanted to create and the reality is we were like let's make a let's make a short for everything and um we didn't really know what we were doing we didn't really understand margins or how expensive it was to make things or if you put an amazing pocket on a product that's going to cost a lot of money we just made these shorts because we wanted to make them and didn't think about anything else and um, they've got a whole bunch of you know innovative in, in, uh, innovative features like the like the velcro overlap um, fly there's no laces and they're made from plastic bottles they've got these amazing pockets yeah we just wanted to make this short that you know we we liked and it didn't really matter if anyone else liked it, but it turns out they did. And um, it's really you know, definitely a bit of a halo product for us now. Because they are super cool shorts, you know, that little, it's like a surfboard leash on the Velcro on the waist. But so one of the beautiful things with that is just that story around it, how it's climate neutral. So, I mean, was was that part of the start of the journey into B Corp? How, how, how did you get into your kind of accreditation route? Because it's a big journey that, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, we we really started out with one percent for the planet, where you know you join one percent for the planet and you give one percent of your annual turnover to environmental nonprofits. So not a percentage of profit; it's a percentage. You know, it's one percent of your entire turnover. And Yours from there, was two percent over two percent in two thousand twenty-one, <laughs> wasn't it? That was a tough year, and you've absolutely smashed that. Yeah, in, in twenty twenty-one, it was two point two four percent, I think. Um, and that was both to environmental and social causes. Um, so yeah, one percent for the planet, and then climate neutral. We we joined that because you know whilst we fully understand that you know just offsetting isn't going to solve all of the world's problems, it's not an excuse not to do it. So you know we we sort of the climate neutral process taught us about how to measure, how to work on what was go what was going on with our carbon footprint, where to make the biggest changes, so how we could reduce it. And then at the end, when you know how much you're creating, you can then offset that. But the biggest thing for us is the measurement and the reduction, because you can't reduce what you don't, what you haven't measured. And then it all becomes part of that. So if you're going to go through that measurement and that reduction, you might as well offset it while you're doing it at the same time. Um, and for us, we found that, you know, there's lots of things you can do here, like you can change your energy and you can change 
you know, lots of things in your building, but as a brand that ships things from overseas, the biggest impact we could have would be to change our shipping from air freight to sea freight. And we did that in 2019 and we halved our carbon footprint that year just by that. Uh, that is very impressive, Rory. And I'm really enjoying finding out more about it. And, you know, we, before uh, we spoke today, I've been all over your website reading about everything. And, uh, you know, it's 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 laudable and you've been recognized for it. And um, just uh, in relation to shipping from overseas by sea freight, you know, when you're working in fashion, you have quite the, the lead times and delivery times are really crucial, aren't they? How do you manage to balance design of your of your new collection with being able to get them delivered i mean honestly it's an absolute nightmare and this last 12 18 months <laughs> for shipping has not made it any easier um but one thing that has kind of worked for us is as we've grown you know we're still the small guy so if you want to get your stuff made in time with the, you know with any factory that you're using you have to be in earlier you have to be one of the first so we're you know so we might attend a trade show and we might you know, we'll be taking orders from retailers, but really we've predicted it what they're going to buy already. And we've got our orders in way in advance of that so we can get them shipped in time. And that's a, that's obviously a real skill. Part of that is instinct, isn't it? But I think I also read on the website that you've been working with the same factory in China since you since you started the business. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've worked with a handful of factories. Yeah. All of all of which that I've been to, I spent time in. And that's you know, that's really that's really important to me, so that we, I know what's going on. But I also want to be part of that production process. I want to know every every single aspect of what's happening, um, and and really be involved on the factory floor. Cool. And what about B Corp? Then I would imagine most listeners haven't uh, heard of that. Uh, maybe they have. You know, we speak in terms of ski resorts. That the the flock on vet is an accreditation that ski resorts can get to show their sustainability. Do you want to just give us a brief explanation about what B Corp is? In short, B Corp is a business that meets the highest standards of social and environmental impact, and it's a commitment to using business as a force for good. What that really means is that. The B Corp process looks at every aspect of the business and they break that down into five different areas. Um, those areas being governance, workers, community, environment and customers. But they really there's no stone left unturned. So, yes, there's a huge kind of what we see as sustainability angle. But there's a whole thing around HR and supply chain and your customers and, and really everything. So the sustainability side is colossal within it, but it is only one part of it. And actually, you know, the whole B Corp thing really is almost like a HR led thing. And then they have this um, framework called the B Impact Assessment. And that is what the businesses run through to get there. And that, that B Impact Assessment is completely free. You can just as a business sign up to it and you can see kind of where your business sits at the minute through this series of you know, five areas and 200, 200 points worth of questions. Yeah, so I would say it took us a year in sort of thinking about it and being like, you know, we we want to take on this B Corp challenge. And then a year of really being like, we're going to go for it. This is the point where we start measuring and, and collecting all that data because the B Corp process is based on your previous financial year or the previous 12 months. So it's not about being like, oh, we're going to do this or, you know, we're going to collect this data. It's all about we have collected this data and we have done this. There's no option to be like, we're going to be a better business in the future. You have to have been a better business already in order to gain those points. 
Well, congratulations on on getting that. You know, I know it's very uh, rigorous, and uh, you know, it's a it's a great achievement. And it, apart from that, you only get it because you're doing good work as a business in the first place. And you you know, you did mention it's not just about sustainability. Some of our uh, listeners will be familiar with Protect Our Winters. Uh, I understand there's a new partnership with them. Yeah, absolutely. So I came across Protect Our Winters when I did a carbon literacy training course with them. Got to know a little bit more about what they're what they're about, what they're doing, and how they and how they're going about it. And I just felt that we really kind of wanted to be we wanted to be involved in that. We wanted to support it. And whilst Jewelstone's not necessarily a ski or snowboard brand, I love skiing and I love skiing. I love the mountains, and you know I want to help protect them so that they're, they're still there in the future years. So if my business can help with that, it's something we want to be involved with. That, it sums up your mission statement uh, better than uh, anything. So, uh, listener, if you'd like to find out more about Duerstone, have a look in the uh, in the show notes. And Rory, thank you very much for joining us today. While we're still in that sustainability corner, it seems the right time to include another interview I recorded recently with Al Judge. Now, regular listeners might recognise his name as he contributed to our special episode about electric vehicles and ski resorts. That was with his uh, Alley Cats uh, Mountain Holidays hat on. But Al is also one of the key members of the Montan Vert team in Morzine. And I keep going on about these guys, but they're doing really great work to make Morzine of Orias a more sustainable destination. And uh, when I read about their new Alpine Express Pass, which uh, offers discounts all over the resort to people who travel by train, I wanted to find out more. So let's have a listen to that. Right, I'm here today with Al Judge from Alicat's Mountain Holidays, but you're here today with a different hat on, the Montan Vert uh, uh, hat. How are you, Al? I'm very well, thank you. Excited about the fact that we've finally got tourists back, or British tourists, back in the resort of Morzine. Yeah, it's excellent. I should have said that, of course, you are uh, based in Morzine. And, you know, the the Montan Vert organization, I refer to it a lot of times on the podcast. I'm such a huge fan of the work uh, that you do there. It's all oh, geared towards uh, trying to make Morzine as sustainable a destination as possible. Since we first spoke, I think we were on the podcast. Uh, well, I had you on the electric vehicles in the Alps special that we did quite a while ago. I'll put a link to the show notes. But since yeah. then, Morzine has been accredited with the, the Flocon Vert, which is uh, not awarded to many resorts. I believe that's correct, isn't it, Al? Yeah, that is. Yeah, it was awarded a few months ago. Um, and after a, a kind of sustained campaign from um, the town and the tourist office and general businesses uh, around the resort, um, they're able to you know, pr prove that they're able to meet the, the, the credentials required. So that was really, really nice achievement. Yeah, and, and the threshold for that is set, you know, very high. And really it doesn't surprise me to hear that, you know, Morsi Navoriaz has been, you know, given that accreditation. And the reason we're here today is I noticed something else, another project that you've launched through Montan Vert, and that is the Alpine Express Pass. And it really piqued my attention. I wondered if you'd like to just explain to us, uh, you know, in basic terms, what it is. So we, um, one of our objectives at Montanvert is to reduce the carbon emissions associated with tourism in, in, in the Alps and more specifically in the, in the valley of Morzine and the surrounding area. When you look at studies of tourism in the Alps, it gets quoted that anywhere between 60 and about 85% of the carbon emissions as a result of a ski holiday actually come from the transport to and from the resort. So we felt 
as a, an association this was an area that we could potentially have quite a big impact from the actual process of skiing itself on a, a normally an electrically operated communal ski lift is actually relatively small in terms of carbon emissions but the transport brought to and from and particularly flights which is the way that most people get to ski resorts is a place that we can really have a big impact if we can reduce the amount of people that come by plane however getting to from northern european countries into Morzine on a train is quite tricky. It can take a little bit of getting to navigate the online um, booking portals. And so what we wanted to do was try and incentivize people to come to Morzine by train by making it a little bit easier. A series of a number of businesses from around the area come together to all offer discounts. And those discounts range from ski passes to accommodation, so hotels, chalet companies, to restaurants, to ski hire, to trans, um, transfers, so between the train station and Morzine, the resource of Morzine. So in all of those places, people can who come by train can now benefit from a 10% or more discount from each of those activities. Great. So the simple thing, if you're traveling by train on your journey to Morzine, then you can get hold of this discount card uh, somehow and enable all of these uh, discounts. And it applies from now, does it? Yeah, it applies from now. So if anyone who is traveling by train wants to take part or if you haven't yet booked your, tra your travel, then look at the train option. What you then do in order to, to make the most of this, uh, to qualify, you need to send your train tickets to us at Montanvert. We'll check them over and then we'll issue you with a QR code, a green QR code. And then you take that QR code to the participating businesses and you get your discount. Wow, that no, I like that. Sounds very high tech. Um, and presumably, uh, so where would they go to? What uh, website address would they go to to do that? So it's montanvertmorzine.com. And perhaps you could put a link in the show notes rather than me spelling it all out. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> I certainly will. And this yeah. is part of two stage journey towards promoting train travel to the area, isn't it? Because my understanding is, and I think we've I've talked about this before on the podcast, that there is discussion in the same way as as a charter a train that goes from London to Borg Saint Maurice, that you're looking to try and create some kind of charter train that would go from uh, Lille to Clues. That's right, yes. One of the, the kind of part two of this is to try and cut out Paris the Paris changeover is not that easy. It's okay once you know it, but it, I think it's enough to put a few people off. By chartering a train from Lille, where the Eurostar stops, um, it then becomes just a simple platform change at Lille, and then you're straight into Clues, and it's a, probably a 35-minute drive from Clues into Morzine. And uh, that is that is kind of phase two, and it won't be for this winter, obviously, but we're looking at it for, for next winter. Yeah, well, I really hope uh, uh, that comes off. Personally, I'd say it's not so difficult getting across Paris and uh, I'll stick a video in the show notes about how you can how you can get across and do it. But I do understand what you're saying there that, um, you know, for me, if the simpler you can make it, the more people will travel by train. And that that is uh, true. So if there was um, a way that you could go direct from Lille and obviously that would benefit the uh, Dutch and the, uh, um, the Dutch and Belgian markets as well, which are also important. You know, I know we tend to think about Britain the whole time, but it's uh, broader than that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the it, Northern Europeans. And that's why we chose the, the, the train station of Lille, because a lot of the trains from Belgium and Holland come through that station as well. 
Well, you know, I, lo I love the work that you're uh, doing at Montenver in terms of trying to make re the resort more sustainable, in terms of trying to cut emissions, and certainly in terms of trying to encourage people to travel by train. So, uh, listener, if you're thinking about uh, going out to Morzin, or if you hadn't been thinking about it before, you can save some money by going out there by train this winter. Thanks very much for joining us, uh, Al, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show again at some point. Thanks very much for having me, Ian. Great. So we're coming to the close now. Uh, reviews and comments uh, are always welcome, whether wherever you want to leave them, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, social media or email. Uh, I'd just like to read out a few we've received since uh, the last episode. Uh, Simon C uh, on Twitter said, keep up the great work on the podcast. Uh, Steve said uh, on Twitter, I enjoyed your chat about Yadmos. Richard Sideways, I think this is on Snowheads, he enjoyed the interview with Graham Bell. And uh, Andrew Brannan on Facebook said he enjoyed the Beijing uh, special. Where else could you hear that? Brilliant. If you didn't listen to uh, our Olympic special, that was a, a bonus episode I released. Uh, you may have noticed, listener, we haven't mentioned the Olympics uh, more than briefly. We will discuss it more. There will be a debrief on it. It's obviously been disappointing that Team GB, GB Snowsports, haven't won any ski or board medals. And that is a huge disappointment. I think there may be uh, some kind of fallout over that, but we'll discuss that another time. Anonymous on Buy Me A Coffee said, thanks for the great listening uh, and your campaigning for greener travel and re-engaging me with all things uh, skiing as an MBO and a minivan driver for snow time in Meribel in the late 80s. <laughs> I can relate to your time with Laden Lines and uh, listener, some of you might uh, know what MBO stands for. Any any of my panel today remember or know what MBO stands for? Well, it, it, technically, I think it was a maintenance and buildings officer, but also referred to as muscle bound oath by some guests. Uh, now, just a final reminder, Ski Podcast has been nominated as a Best Winter Sports Podcast. Very easy to vote. Go to sportspodcastawards.com. I'd really appreciate it. Help me and the podcast. Uh, enjoy all feedback about the show. So uh, do email theskipodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, uh, Rory Atten from Dewarstone. Thank you, Rory. Thanks for having me. Katie Dartford. Thank you, Katie. Thanks. See you again soon. Al Morgan from Ski Kit Info. Thanks, Ian. And Katie has just popped off. So I'll say goodbye to Katie and then maybe we'll edit in her, uh, her goodbye later as well. See you, Katie. Finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>